Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to North Haven. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen by those of you joining with us virtually. My name is Adam Siddler. I'm the senior pastor here. And if, the, if this is your first time or you're relatively new to North Haven, I would love a chance to meet with you. Uh, you could find out a little bit more about me and about our church, and I would love to find out more about you. As a matter of fact, after the service, uh, there's some windows right over there. I'm going to be in that room right away at the end of the service, and uh, I would love for you to come and to connect and find out a little bit more about North Haven. Um, we have, we'll have some donuts and coffee as well. If you're joining with us virtually, uh, you could also uh, connect with us by indicating that you're new either on the comment section or you can click that prayer button and uh, let us know so that we can connect with you and support you in your journey. And speaking of connection, one of the vital pieces of what we do here is that connection card that you have in your worship folder. Um, we ask that you would take a moment, you know, fill that out, but then probably most importantly is that prayer option that you have at the back of the card. So if you turn that over, you'll notice there's a place where you can write down um, any prayer requests that you might have. And we commit as a staff uh, to praying over each of those requests um, every week. And uh, so please inundate us with um, knowing how we can support you in prayer. If you're joining virtually, you can click that prayer button and that will go confidentially to our hosts that are online right now and uh, they'll let you know obviously that they've received it and then we will add that into our prayers for the week as well. Now speaking of prayers, we started this last Tuesday, if you were with us last week, uh, I encouraged you to participate in a, a, a venture to pray over the next couple months for how God may be using us um, as individuals and then as a church to impact least reached immigrant groups in our community. And so we started that this last Tuesday. We were praying from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. We'll be doing that, like I said, for the next two months. We had a great turnout uh, virtually and in person. It was a total of about 40 people. And it was just a great uh, time of prayer as we commit um, this exploration to God. And then also, one thing I mentioned that I've been doing since, and I want to encourage you to do yourself, um, it's, it's really easy, and, and I, I think it has been quite powerful. Uh, it's called the 1002 Prayer. Now, if you haven't heard about this before, I'll explain. Um, the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so pray for workers in the harvest. And so ask the Lord for harvest workers. And so that's what this 1002 prayer is. What I've done is I've set my alarm for 10.02 a.m. And uh, it went off in between, so you might have heard the alarm go off. Um, I wasn't near my phone. But I did pray after I got my phone and was like, oh, yeah, I got to pray for that. Uh, you could do the a.m. or p.m. But what that does is whenever that alarm goes off, it just prompts me to pray. God, send out workers into the harvest field. I pray for workers in the harvest field, and here's the thing. <laughs> you have to include yourself in that, too, and that's a little scary. It's a little uncomfortable, but, you know, being able to say, send workers in the harvest field, and God, use me as well. So if that's something that you'd like to join me in, uh, you can certainly do that super easy. Well, we are in our fourth week of a series that we've been committing to uh, for this entire year. Uh, it sounds crazy, but for the whole year, we're doing a series on the book of Acts. 
So if you look at the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the next book is Acts. It's called Acts of the Apostles. We, a lot of us know it as just simply Acts. And what we're doing over the course of this year is we're parsing out that book. And what we're looking at is certainly the beginnings of the early church. Uh, but then taking the story of the early church, what was happening um, in the midst of all that, and applying it to our own lives, and then the life of this church. You know, what can we learn? What is it that we can gain from the early church, and how can that then motivate and move us as individuals and as a church as well? And today, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, sit Back into Acts chapter 2. If you were with us last week, you know that we uh, started venturing into Acts chapter 2, and I talked to you about how we would uh, this week go a little bit further into the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do today. So we're going to talk and examine the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just mention this, get this caveat out there right away. I am not going to insatiate you. I'm not going to satisfy your desire for every detail about the Holy Spirit. That's just, uh, it's not going to happen here today. I'm going to do a shot across the bow. Uh, We're going to drip before God drops. All right, so what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to further your exploration and, and your uh, investigation into the Holy Spirit as we see that unfold in Scripture. And one way that you can do that is through the study guide that we do each week. It's in your worship folder. I think it's in the back. And you can engage with that. You can go a little bit further. We can also do that in our small groups and individual study. There's resources as well that are out there, books, articles, that speak more in detail about the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to consider the Holy Spirit in its context that we see it here in Acts chapter 2. So before we do that, I want to share this quote. Uh, A pastor, his name is J.D. Greer, he was interviewed in Christianity Today, and I thought this quote was was pretty poignant uh, to what we're talking about here today. So he asked, they asked, uh, Christianity Today asked uh, J.D. Greer, Um, characterize your relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is what he said. I began to discover that an understanding of our relationship with the Holy Spirit helps to soothe our anxieties, okay? Instead of saying, look at all that God needs me to do for him, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, reminds us to say, look at what God is empowering me to do. All right, so that, that kind of sets the stage about what we've been talking about here. Because if you remember the very first week that we began this exploration of the book of Acts, I told you that there was a verse in the first chapter that basically summarizes the whole book. Anybody remember what verse that is? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's right, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if we could then, you know, summarize that verse, we've been looking at this statement. The whole book of Acts testifies to this. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world. That's what the whole book of Acts is all about. You can summarize it in this simple statement. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world. And we talked about last week how we are to be God's witness to change the world with the message of Jesus, the rock. 
You may remember last week we talked about the conversation that Jesus had with Peter, where Jesus said, on this rock, he was speaking of himself, on this rock, Jesus Christ, I will build my church. So the church is built on the rock, the foundation of Jesus, that is Jesus' Savior, the Son of God, who died for our sins and then rose from the dead, defeating death and providing a way for us to have life everlasting. It's built on that rock, and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of being his witness to the world. So the Holy Spirit is a very curious topic, um, and much has been discussed, much has been debated, much has been written about the Holy Spirit over years and years and years and years. Um, in his book, Francis Chan, any of you know who Francis Chan is, he, um, he wrote a book and he referred to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God. It's interesting. Now, we are a Baptist church. Um, uh, we're part of a, uh, a Baptist denomination called Converge. They sound cool. But we, were used to, we used to be called the Baptist General Conference. Um, so Baptist churches, though, are, they're a funny bunch when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Baptists don't like talking about the Holy Spirit. We get a little uncomfortable with that. We shouldn't be. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I mean, he's part of the Trinity, he, he is an individual th- a person, and he also is part of the Trinity. He is God, right? God, three people in one. Pfft, that's a mystery. We're not diving into that today, but the Holy Spirit can be uncomfortable. It can be challenging. It can be somewhat mysterious, and because of that, we tend to, you know, sidestep away from that. But we're not going to do that today. We're going we're gonna to lean in. And we're going to look at what transpires here in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. If you don't have your Bibles, there are some in front of you, um, and it'll be on the screen as well. We're going to start with verse 1 of Acts 2, and we'll go to verse 6, and then we'll stop there for today. All right. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. That's where we're going to halt uh, today, and we're going to be looking at what's transpiring here in these first six verses of Acts chapter 2. So at this moment, and we've discussed this already, but at this moment, uh, we refer to it as Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came down for the first time. This Holy Spirit was, was the person that, that Jesus had been uh, promising and had been you know, sending a shot across the bottle. The Holy Spirit's coming. The Helper's coming. Now the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit comes down and then indwells in the lives of Jesus' followers, So Jesus' followers are there in that moment. The Holy Spirit comes down and indwells within them and fills them. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, what does it say? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this mean? 
What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, like we you know, need to do from time to time, when we um, consider these words, it's good to look at the original language. Um, I've talked about this many times. What was the original language that the New Testament was written in? Greek, but it was an ancient form of Greek called Koine Greek. That's right. So Koine Greek was the, the language that the New Testament was written in, and those words sometimes have different meanings that give us a, kind of a richer context about what the Scripture's talking about. And so the word that is used here for filled is the word pimplomai, pimplomai. Pimplomai basically means an adolescent who, no, I'm just kidding. Um, pimplomai, it means filled up completely. Pimplomai means filled up completely. All right. Now, there are a couple of aspects of being filled Um, that are important to consider when examining our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's really what we're talking about. When we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to consider, okay, what is that relationship then? Well, there's two aspects. The first aspect is that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. So the Bible says that Jesus is the only way, right? He's the only way, the only life, the only way to come to the Father, through God the Father, to God the Father, is through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible also teaches us that when we decide to follow Jesus and make him the leader of our life, that we are then saved. We are justified. Now, that's, a, that's a kind of a legalese word. And essentially what that means is that when before we were not right with God because of our sin, that because of Jesus, his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection from the dead and having defeated death, he provides then a way for us to have life everlasting, and then we are made right with God. God, when he sees us, doesn't see us. He sees who? Jesus. So we are saved. We are justified. We are made right with God at that moment of salvation. When you, choose, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. When you are saved, at that moment, you receive the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit upon salvation. You you receive basically your own Pentecost at that moment, your own individual Pentecost. So that's true of anybody in this room who has made the decision to follow Jesus and make him the leader of your life, and that is true of anybody who would make that decision to follow Jesus. That's the first aspect, and that's, that's important to understand. That every person who is saved, every person who is a believer, a follower of Jesus, has received, has been filled by the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll unpack that here a little bit more here in just a second. But the second aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, comes from um, a, a follower of Jesus, a, a Jesus believer, then stirring up the Holy Spirit that is already within them. We see evidence of this all throughout the New Testament. Uh, you know, we see it in Acts chapter 13, verse 52, where it says this, and the, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is Acts chapter 13. This is well after the Holy Spirit has already been dispensed and, and indwelled the believers. Yet, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit again, 
So these two aspects are in play. They were filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, but there is another filling that seems to happen there, a different kind of filling, and that is the stirring up within the life of a believer. Now, these instances where we see this, such as in Acts 13, verse 52, these instances that we see constantly in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, they are so important. And the reason that they're so important is because for a Jesus follower who has already received the dwelling of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, we can actually stir up the Holy Spirit. We can be filled, stir up the Holy Spirit in our life and in our work. Okay, but we're going to sidestep for just a quick moment. We're going to digress into talking about the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is what? Anybody want to say? Tongues, right? When you read those verses, and you're like, what's that about? All right. We are just going to touch the tip of that iceberg. Um, what I want to make clear, we're not going to talk about necessarily um, uh, differentiating or dissecting the gift of tongues. Um, what we're going to do instead is we're going to look at what is it saying here in Acts chapter 2. So let's sidestep and talk about that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they were able to speak in other tongues because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, speaking in tongues in this particular instance clearly means that they were speaking in other known languages. That's made clear in verse 6 of chapter 2 where it says this, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. That is the sound of the Holy Spirit coming down because each one heard then their own language being spoken. Now, this, the reason why we need to uh, make it clear what's happening here, because later on in the New Testament, Paul, who's, who's written much of the New Testament in his letters, um, he talks about the gift of tongues, and it would seem as if the gift of tongues that he's talking about is different than what is described here in Acts 2, verse 6. So this begs the question, are there two different types of talking or speaking in tongues? Or did, did Luke, who wrote Acts, wrote the book of Acts, as well as the gospel of Luke, did he misunderstand or deliberately misinterpret what was happening here in Acts 2? Well, I, first and foremost, I, I just want to um, toss out the idea that Luke could have misinterpreted or is deliberately um, uh, trying to misrepresent what is happening here in Acts chapter 2 because this was a witness account. Right? There would have been plenty of people that would have been able to say, ah, no, that's not right. So then is it possible then that there are two different kinds of speaking in tongues? And I would actually say, yeah, there is. And Paul even alludes to this. In, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of, uh, of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So considering this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 and the passage that we're seeing in um, Acts chapter 2, there seem to be two different kinds of speaking in tongues that the Spirit can enable people to do. Both of the ability that the Holy Spirit gives to be able to speak 
um, just supernaturally in ways that can't be explained by human thought in languages that exist or in otherworldly heavenly speech that we see Paul referencing later on in the New Testament. Now, we'll get to uh, this topic at a later date, diving more deeply into these gifts. But for now, uh, what I want to do is I want to take that little tidbit and go a little bit further down the rabbit hole. And I want to look at something pretty cool that's happening here that often gets uh, forgotten or dismissed. That is, the, the ability that the Holy Spirit gives to the followers present here the ability to speak in another language, it gives the followers of Jesus the ability to be understood by all that are present. Now, why is that a big deal? Because in this moment of Pentecost, we see that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came about and and brought about a language understanding amongst all the different kinds of people that were present. And this ability, it says in, in Acts 2, that it wasn't of themselves. It wasn't because they, they did that, um, uh, what's, what's that uh, stone, Rosetta Stone? They weren't doing Rosetta Stone lessons or whatever. It was because the Holy Spirit gave them the ability, they then were understood by others. And this moment, Acts chapter 2, what happens here is actually a restoration of the division that occurred at the Tower of what? Babel. The Tower of Babel. We see that in the Old Testament where, where the people were, were trying to build a tower to get closer, to reach God, to see God. And, and, and God's like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You, you guys, this isn't, this isn't the way. And what he does is he intentionally creates uh, miscommunication and inability to understand by, by, uh, by creating different languages. And, and then everybody has to disperse because of that division. And now here we're seeing the Holy Spirit coming and bringing unison and understanding. The Holy Spirit becomes the driving force eliminating the lack of understanding, and to begin to bring then people together. So what does this tell us about the Holy Spirit? It says that one of the works, one of the main missions of the Holy Spirit is to bring God's people into unity. And so I, I will say this, that if, if, if you are not championing unity, if your life and your decisions and your words and your actions are creating division, then the Holy Spirit is not working through you. But if the Holy Spirit is working through you, then you are bringing people into unity. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty amazing. Now, if we begin to build on this, we see a subtle but substantial message in Acts chapter 2, verse 6. Let's look at that passage again. When they heard this sound, that is all the people that were around, and they heard the sound of the Holy Spirit coming down to Jesus' followers, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Ooh, what's going on? Because each one heard their own language being spoken. The Holy Spirit filled the followers of Jesus, and it was evident it was evident to all those around them. 
And this realization is a critical component of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because for the followers of Jesus in this instance, the inward indwelling of the Holy Spirit produced an outward demonstration in that what was inside became evident outside. The Holy Spirit was only visible on the outside because he became an outflow that resulted from Jesus' followers stirring up the Holy Spirit within them and thus being a witness to the world. You may have wondered, I'm sure you did, and I love keeping you all in suspense, but why this big jar of milk is on the table up here. So I cowed this this morning. This is you, okay? This is you. You are this jug of milk. Now, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we talked about this already. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. You are justified at that moment. You're made right with God. And the Bible tells us that we then, at that moment, receive the Holy Spirit. That's that first aspect of being filled by the Holy Spirit that we talked about. This is the Holy Spirit. That's appropriate, right? Chocolate. It's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit fills you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, you are filled with the power that God, sorry about that, that God equips his followers, so that you can be a witness to the world. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and nobody could know. I just dumped the majority of this chocolate syrup into this jug and for many of you, it makes no difference. It doesn't even look like I did anything. Yet, it's filled. Being filled with the Holy Spirit after salvation means that you stir up the Holy Spirit that indwells within you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Paul, again, writes this. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid. But it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So how do you stir up the Holy Spirit within you? What is the second aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit? We stir up the Holy Spirit in our lives by committing to four essential things. The first is prayer. Committed daily prayer where you are talking, and then much more importantly, you are listening to God. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Does that mean that you have to ignore life altogether and just constantly keep your eyes closed and your your hands folded and just pray and pray? No, that means that you are living a life aware of God's presence. And you're listening, and you're talking. The second commitment prayer life, but then time in the Word, where you are daily committing to to ingesting God's Word, 
reading, letting it absorb, letting it work inside of you. This is living and active. This is organic here. It will not leave you where it's found you. So prayer, and then God's Word, and then also worship. When we commit ourselves to a life of worship, what does that mean? Worship is defined as giving God the best of what He's given you. That is, living your life, giving God glory for all things and in every situation. And then the fourth critical component, component, we got prayer, we got time in the Word, we got worship, and then we have confession of our sins Psalm 139, King David, David, a man after God's own heart, he's described. He prays this. He says, God, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Prayer life, time in the word, worship, and then confession of sins. When we commit to those things, what is inside of us already as followers of Jesus, we stir up then. And so what is inside of us then becomes visible and evident to all those. And we become a witness to the world. And then what's cool is once we stir that up, it makes it very hard to separate. When you stir up the Holy Spirit in your life, that same Holy Spirit that indwells within you because you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it becomes visible to all those around you. You become a witness to the world that you are different. You become a witness to the world that you are changed. You become a witness to the world through the power of the Holy Spirit that you are a new creation. The followers of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2, they were eyewitnesses to Jesus on earth. They had literally just seen him ascend. You and I, we cannot be eyewitnesses to Jesus on earth, but we are eyewitnesses. We do have personal knowledge of the transformation that has happened in each of our lives. And this transformation that's happened because of the grace that God's given to you through Jesus allows you then to stir up the Holy Spirit that you've received. And when you do that, you become a witness to the world. You, be, you show the world that you are changed, that you are transformed, that you have moved from the person you were to the person that you have become a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that renewing, that transformation happens because we stir up the Holy Spirit within us. If you are saved, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only way that that becomes a witness, the only way that that becomes evident to the world around you is when you commit to a prayer life, 
time in the word, worship, and confession. You know, the end of the story for Jesus Christ was not death, it was life. It was resurrection, it was a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, for Christ's love compels us, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The end of the story for us, for followers of Jesus Christ, is not death, it's life. It's resurrection. It is a new creation. So we should be compelled. I want to ask that you would stand, and we're going to spend a little bit as we close the service worshiping together. And then I'll come back out, and we will share in our creed together out loud as we're doing throughout this series. Let's say this together. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus' witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless. See you soon.